Welcome back to yet another week of Behind the Lens. I'm Debbie Elias, film critic, creator, and host of Behind the Lens, where we go behind the lens and below the line with the movers and shakers, the film and TV makers, those producers, directors, writers, actors, cinematographers, production designers, costume designers, film editors, sound editors, sound mixers, composers, authors, and just last week, we had baseball player turned country music star. So, you name them, you name it, and we talk to them. Now, if you're watching the show on the AdrenalineRadio.com Facebook page right now, you'll see I'm not in the studio. Well, that's because I've got to go to three film screenings in order to do interviews on Tuesday. So, nobody's figured out how to clone me yet. Probably a good thing. Uh, so, I am pre-recording the show. It is now late Sunday night. Uh, so, you've got some great pre-recorded interviews coming up. Starting with, I've been looking forward to this film all year, Expendables. Or some of you are calling it Expendables 4. Do not listen to a lot of the naysaying that is going on out there. Because clearly, some people have forgotten how to just go to the movies and have fun. Have a damn good time. This Expendables, under the direction of Scotty Waugh, it is rock'em, shock'em, blow em all to hell. Fun. It is a wild thrill ride. Each stunt, each set piece tops the last. And we're having fun watching it. The action, a lot of it is creative. It's inventive. There's some stunts here you haven't seen anywhere before, including an inverted motorcycle stunt uh, that is being performed by Jason Statham's incredible motorcycle stuntman, Robbie Madison. From beginning to end, you will have fun. And the beauty is that while we're having fun and loving the action, the guys on the screen are having fun. And it's obvious uh, to anybody that really watches the film. One of the great elements of this film that I appreciate is that action heroes over the age of 50 or 60 have not been put out to pasture as much as many people would like to do that. These guys are still vital, active, and they can throw a punch. And a one-liner. But the boys are back and they're ready to save the world again. But as is usual in an Expendables film, we've got a little bit of revenge to take care of as well. With Expendables 3, uh, revenge came in the form of Mel Gibson as Conrad Stonebanks, and uh, a little grudge Barney Ross had with him. Well, now we've got somebody who is out to start a war between Russia and the United States and has a nuke big enough to do a whole heck of a lot of damage that is on a ship somewhere in the South, in the South China Seas or Sea of Japan. So who do you call? Who does the government always call for a black ops operation? You call the Expendables. Returning is, of course, Sylvester Stallone as Barney Ross. Jason Statham as Lee Christmas. 50 Cent comes in this go-round as Easy Day. Dolph Lundgren is back as Gunner. Uh, we've got Randy Couture back as Toll Road. Now, a great favorite in Expendables 3 was Antonio Banderas' character. Due to scheduling, Banderas couldn't come back for Expendables 4. So a new character was created called Galen, who is the son of uh, Banderas' character, Galgo, from In Expendables 3. Jacob Scipio easily handles the task at hand. And as you're going to hear in my interview with Scott Waugh, they changed the dialogue. When Banderas couldn't come back, they actually changed the dialogue to 
make it appropriate for Jacob's character of Galen. It's still, the character has all the same traits as Galgo. So he really provides a lot of comic relief, as do our veterans. You know, Dolph Lundgren, talking about his eyesight, now he's got to wear glasses, and he gets a special scope for his uh, rifles that has prescription lens in it. I think is hilarious as someone whose eyesight has been changing at age 65. Um, Statham is Statham. Stallone is Stallone. Uh, Randy Couture is as funny as ever. And then this go-round, we get Megan Fox brought in all, as an expendable and is an ex of Jason Statham's Lee Christmas. Not a big Megan Fox fan. I'll say that up front. I've said it before. But she holds her own. She brings a little flavor uh, to Expendables 4. But where the real flavor comes in is with Tony Jaa, Eco Uwes, Levi Tran. This trio give us so many thrills, martial arts thrills. The choreography is impressive. Their performances are wonderful. And of course, then we get, we got to have a government guy in here. He used to be Bruce Willis, but in Expendables 3, as we all know, um, Major Drummer came in looking like Harrison Ford because Church was out of the picture. Um, now we've got Andy Garcia as Marsh. And it's an interesting turn for Andy, let me tell you. But the plot points, we the film opens explosively. Third act is even bigger explosions. The stunts within it are incredible, absolutely incredible. And we never lose the sense of camaraderie that the Expendables are known for. You know, when I, ta I talked to Scotty Waugh, and as many of you know, I have known Scotty and his brother Rick for about 40 years now. Uh, I first met them when they were gangly teenagers, um, very early in their career, learning stunts and working with their dad, the legendary Fred Waugh. To have seen what Scotty and Rick have done, moving into stunt coordination and directing and writing, is just it's been an absolute privilege when they turn out work like what the two of them have consistently turned out. One of the things that I love and that I think makes Scott the perfect director for Expendables 4 are the disciplines and skills that he has exhibited in some prior films, particularly Act of Valor. And uh, his last film that had released, Need for Speed, the elements that he brings to the table and his vision with those two films alone, really, I, see them, I see them incorporated and play out here with Scotty's vision for the film. As you're going to hear in this interview, Scott was brought in only four weeks before principal photography was set to start. There was another director attached. He went bye-bye. Scott came in. There were no set pieces built, no production design done. This was run and gun from the start. But coming out of stunts, you got to run and gun and be able to prepare while you're running and gunning. And that's exactly what Scott has done with this film. One of the highlights and one of probably... The closest thing to Scotty's, uh, Scotty Waugh's right arm with this film is his second unit action director, Brian Smurs. Um, Scotty brought him in very quickly. Um, he is an incredible action director. And he and Scott together, uh, their work is just exemplary. This is a stunt-heavy film. Stunts in action. A lot of man-on-man and once again, as we have seen in all of the Expendables film leading, films leading up to this one, the action is tailored to each actor's capabilities. And that's very important because it allows 
so much to be done in camera with the actors versus having digi doubles or even a lot of VFX enhancement. At every level, the film is very well executed. It is technically proficient. I love the cinematography. Uh, Tim Maurice Jones came in. Uh, you may know his work best for Kick-Ass 2. Uh, he also did The Woman in Black with Daniel Radcliffe. Talk about opposite ends of the spectrum for his skill set. Um, everything about Expendables 4 just screams excitement and fun. And as you're going to hear Scott talk about, it was very important to him to pay homage to the three Expendables that came before. And most notably with Rusty's Bar, uh, the Expendables Hangout. Keep your eyes peeled when you watch the film and your ears open as you listen to Scotty talk because he gives a few little tidbits as to the Easter eggs that he has in there. And something that he and Tim worked on from a cinematographic standpoint is having some very cinematic looks within the film. And a lot of that is achieved in the Rusty's Bar sequences. Um, overall, the film truly is worth the, the full price of admission. I have already gone and paid money to see it after seeing it at a press screening. I will pay money to see it again because it's fun. Have any of you forgotten what it's like to go to a film and just have fun? To laugh, to grin, to be on the edge of your seat as explosions are happening and you see somebody doing an inverted motorcycle stunt on an aircraft carrier. Trust me. You know, forget the naysayers. Form your own opinion. Go see Expendables 4. But before you do that, you can take a listen to this very fun-filled interview with Scott Waugh and myself. And you're also going to find out what happened to a film that he was shooting after Need for Speed and before Expendables. Um, COVID did a number on it. Let's just say that. And you're going to hear all about it in this interview. So without any further ado, take a listen to my exclusive interview with my friend and director, Scott Waugh. Hello, my darling. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Nice, nice to hear your voice. It's been way too long, mister. I know, hasn't it? Since Need for Speed. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that was... Uh... Almost 10 years ago now. I know. And I've seen and talked with Rick so many times in between. So he filled me in. It's like, okay, Scotty's overseas. You were shooting six below. Okay, do you know Scotty picked up and moved and built his own studio and went to XYZ back east? And so Rick has kept me filled in on your exploits. That's awesome. You know, everyone thought that, I, some people thought I left the industry and it's funny just because, you know, I was on that movie Hidden Strike. It was, it was a, turned into a six and a half year project. Oh, God. And it just, everyone thought I, you know, quit. But I was, you know, making that movie and COVID hit. And I was three years in when it was, I was finally finishing it. And it completely annihilated that movie uh, and bankrupted the company that was financing it. And the movie went on the shelf for two years. So here I was during COVID with a movie that I couldn't show people because it wasn't finished. Oh, my God. I was so excited this year when Rick and I talked earlier uh, about Kandahar. And I told him, I said, you know, I don't know. This is like the greatest, the greatest year of my life to have... The Wall Brothers each have an action film out. That hasn't happened before, and I just think it's spectacular. I know what Rick did and everything he did in Kandahar with the explosions and that and the practical explosions, the one that was actually felt five miles away from where they actually did it. But I have to tell you now, having seen Expendables 4, 
You blew your brother's <laughs> explosions out of the water, Scotty. A lot of them. You have a lot of fuel. <laughs> oh, my God. This, what I saw on screen last night, surpasses his Napalm Alley in, a in Angel Has Fallen. It surpasses the explosions in Kandahar. I put on socials this morning, this is rock em, sock em, blow em all to hell. This is killer, Scotty. I am so, so, so thrilled with this film and so proud to have been there when you started your career and to see what you've done now. Oh, how crazy is that? And thank you. Yeah, you know, I think, uh, you know, the, the beauty of that, uh, when my brother was doing Kandahar, I was overdoing Expendables. The same, we were, I'm trying to remember, one of us was finishing and one of us was starting to go. And I think, I think Ricky was finishing, he was leaving Saudi when I was going to Bulgaria, London. <laughs> and, um, you know, and I had just finished my China movie, so he was talking to me about shooting in Saudi, and I was talking to him about my experiences trying to, you know, shoot for 10 months in China. And it seemed to be very similar stories. <laughs> well... I have to say, with Expendables 4 here, this is, it is a, per for you, you were the perfect director for this film to bring this story to life, because it really, to me, feels like a meld of the reality of the action that you had in Act of Valor, plus the excitement of Need for Speed, and the joy of the wit, and the humor, and the brotherhood, and the friendship and explosive nature of the expendables you marry your excellence with the franchise itself and this is just incredible ah uh, thank you yeah i really felt like it was kind of that that natural progression you get as a filmmaker when the studios kind of keep giving you a little bit more right because they know you're maybe there and ready to handle that and so when I had that opportunity when they called me to do Expendables, I was <laughs> of course thrilled because I was like, "Wow, man, that'd be an amazing opportunity to work with that brand and work with all those actors." But also, I felt I was ready for it mm -hmm. because I I had done enough body of work to handle a hundred million dollar huge <laughs> huge larger than life actor you know movie so. How did you even, when you got this script, first they hire you and you're blown away, and after you get over that euphoria, if you ever do, how did you start approaching this film? Because there are the hallmarks that everybody looks for in an Expendables film. But given your own background with stunt, stunt coordination and directing, you needed to put your own stamp on this as well. So... How did you approach this and start in executing the vision for Expendables 4? The thing that was challenging for myself on Expendables was I was a latecomer to the party. So they had a previous director that decided to walk when they were four weeks out from <gasps> And they called me immediately and said, would you come over and take over the franchise? We start shooting in four weeks. <laughs> <laughs> so I was on a plane to London the next day and really having to mount an entire film of this size in four weeks was um, super challenging. Having they didn't, had not done the, the preliminary work needed. And, you know, and I thought the same thing when I was in that was like, on top of this, we got to design some set pieces in action that are going to be memorable. Mm -hmm. And that's when I brought in Brian Smurs, and I called Brian. I said, "Brother, can you come over and help me, man? Because I'm uh, up to my uh, up to my knees in, in 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 deep stuff right now, and I need I need a partner to come work this out with me." So Brian and I really collaborated and got some you know some good stuff going on second unit that really helped me. The second unit is exemplary in this film, Scott, and I knew it would be. Your set pieces are phenomenal, and I love how you bookend the film 
with the huge the the opening set piece at the you know set in Libya and then the aircraft carrier scenes in the third act it's perfect you start on an explosive high note and you just keep getting bigger which i didn't think was That's a challenge right how do you we always run into these issues and i ran into this issue on on act of valor of you know usually your end of act one action set piece you know is really exciting and sometimes you outdo yourself for the end of act three and for us it was like we have to keep one upping ourselves so that at the end it's really the big one you know so and i and i, and I do think we finally accomplished that on this one that was a really big focus of mine making sure that that final set piece left you feeling rewarded and, and you earned it i was exhilarated exhilarated with the with the third act the final set piece i was already uh, grinning from ear to ear the minute the film opened with the action and that opening set piece but by the end of the of the film with the last one, I was ready. I, I was come jumping out of my skin. It was that good. That's great. The stunt execution here, and with you, I have to talk about the action and the stunts because you, like Rick, in camera as much as you can do. How much of this is in camera? Because in a lot of these action sequences, some of the martial arts sequences, and boy, oh boy. The martial arts sequences are incredible here. You've got amazing talent. But I'm looking, and that was in camera. It was not CGI. It wasn't digi-double. That was in camera. So I'm curious, how much of the action here, especially the one-on-one -on -one fights, were you doing in camera? Well, I think you're, you know, that's always the hyper-focus of mine of, how much can I do in camera, all of it? And if I need to augment for safety reasons, VFX wise, then, you know, I am always comfortable having to go that route because safety is paramount. Mm -hmm. But I don't think VFX should just replace. So I'm doing everything I possibly can in camera. And I just, I, I think it registers. And I think that's why the action in Expendables just feels throwback in a way to our original movies we grew up on because yeah. it's still it's still all real you know and there are some there are some vfx enhancement moments for sure but you know there's still the foreground elements are all real mm -hmm. i kept watching diligently looking to see and i kept saying this is this is all in camera this is in camera these one-on-one these -on -one fights are in camera, and it just blew my mind, Scotty. Blew my mind. Awesome. You've got some really interesting new stunts that I haven't seen before, such as the Statham, you know, Lee Christmas's, the motorcycle stunt up in the air, the flip. Yep. And on an aircraft carrier. I haven't seen, I haven't seen this before. How much engineering went into that? Now, obviously, Statham was not on the bike. As much of a daredevil as he is for doing a lot of stuff, I am positive he was not on the bike, and you had a stunt double for him doing that. What was the impetus and the idea for a stunt like that? Well, I think, you know, you're always looking for those trailer moments and for audiences to have that reaction of, Wow, I've never seen that before. I want to go see that movie. And that was one of the things when I was reading the script. I'm like, we got to do something badass on this aircraft carrier that, you know, people haven't seen. And there was this little, you know, ride the motorcycle around in the script. And I'm like, no, man, this needs to turn into a full-scale uh, full motorcycle chase. We need to mount guns on these bikes. They need to be shooting at each other. And it's got to be exciting. And then... Then I was like, but there's got to be a way we kill the bad guy that is that quintessential moment, trailer moment that just is cool. And as I looked at the set and thinking about it, I kept thinking like, dude, instead of them just shooting, I go, we got to do a jump. We need to jump and get completely inverted. And we needed somebody like Robbie Madison to come and do this jump for us and do something special. So it's all in camera and real. And it's just something that the audience is going to smile. And, you know, we were lucky. We got Robbie to come in and do the jump for us. And it was, 
You know, he did it five times. Wow. <laughs> and he wasn't inverted enough the way I had it in my head. And I walked up to him and I said, hey, Robbie, can you do me a favor? You think you can flick it out a little bit more, brother, to try to get those guns pointed down so you're up, you're literally inverted? And he kind of smiled and looked at me and goes, all right, let's do one more. And that's the one that's in the movie. He almost, he almost, almost crashed because he got so inverted. He had to try to bring it back and uh, under-rotated. And, uh, and that, you know, after he landed, we're like, yeah, that's it. Moving on. Oh, my God. Now, because you came in just four weeks before Principal was starting here, were any of these sets built for you? Because the aircraft carrier, that's a massive set with ma large compartments, hallways, uh, the bridge, whatnot, and the deck. The the Qaddafi, the Libya set piece, that's another big thing. Was any of this already done from a production design standpoint, or did you have to start from scratch with that uh, within less than four weeks to go? Unfortunately, none of it was done, and we had to start from start from zero when I came in. They had a couple location ideas that they already had come up with, but so I mean, within the first week that I jumped in, it was flying all over the world, picking locations, casting while we're flying, and designing while we're on the move to get set started. So it was. Yeah, it was uh, something I personally don't care to do again. It was, <laughs> it was extremely challenging, and um, um, like I'm, I'm happy with what we were able to pull off. But it's a, uh, you know, there's a there's a reason we prep for twelve weeks normally. Wow, I can't imagine you doing a film without twelve weeks prep, just because of what you do in the films you direct. So this is just Herculean, Scotty. This is a Herculean effort, and let me tell you, it pays off. Now, working with, um, so you've got Brian as your second unit uh, action director. You've got Tim Maurice Jones as your primary cinematographer. I know that Tim shot uh, Kick-Ass too, but I haven't seen any of his work that's really as involved as Expendables 4 is. What was your collaboration like with him from... A cinematography standpoint of the lighting and the lensing because so much is interior with that weird lighting within a ship and then cover of darkness things like that or the glaring sun of the desert the idea so tim and i so tim and i never worked before he was already hired on before i came on mm -hmm. but i knew him from uh, my commercial directing career because i always had tried to get tim to DP some of my commercials, but he was never available. So when I heard he was on, it was exciting. So I'm like, oh, we're finally getting to work together. This is awesome. <laughs> um, but I think our, our styles, you know, we ended up, you know, really pushing each other because I think I personally, I like to move the camera more than Tim's used to, but Tim's really terrific with lighting. And I felt like the combination really gave us some good, some good feel on this particular movie and you know i think it is you know gotta be careful because we are within a brand and we don't want to change it so we needed to stay on on point with the last three but maybe make it look even a little bit more you know cinematic and i think tim did a wonderful job i have to say the bar the expen where the expendables hang out rusty's bar yeah. that is so cinematic with the way it's lit and the color usage and the neon and the diffusion yeah. in there. That is so cinematic and beautiful. And then to have the other contrast, it really opens up the world, I think. Well, that was a throwback to when Sly did the first one, he used a lot of neon. And so when I, was, when I first came in and I was talking with Tim, I said, we need to get back to Expendables 1. We need to really go back to the core of the franchise. And we looked at a lot of that. And even even Barney's lair where his motorcycle is, if you look at that where he gets on his Harley, that is a, is a total throwback to Mickey Rourke's tattoo bar. Yes, it is. All the neon lights were and all that. And so we really carried through the whole idea of neon through the whole movie. 
how exciting is it for you, and maybe even daunting, to come into a franchise like Expendables with the likes of Stallone, Statham, Lundgren, three of the greatest action heroes of all time, Randy Couture, and then new to the franchise, you know, you got 50 Cent, who I think is an incredible dramatic actor and does action well in addition, and Megan Fox, Tony Jaa, Eco, and then Jacob Scipio. Just amazing. And, of course, you get Andy Garcia. Was that daunting to you at all to have these action legends that you're directing? Well, I think what was exciting was, you know, back in my previous career, I used to stunt double for Andy Garcia. I know you did. <laughs> and he forgot. <laughs> so when Andy was on set, and I had to remind him when I first saw him um, of certain films we worked together on, it was a kind of cool reuniting of both of us. And, and it actually gave us even a more special bond on set, which was really exciting, and Andy was terrific. But you're right, to, to jump in with all of these other wonderful actors who are physically talented, it's always exciting for a director because you can do a little bit more with them than you can any traditional actor because you got to lean a little bit harder with the stunt doubles uh, when you're not having people like we do in that and expendable. So it was it was a treat because they're also they're such physical specimens <laughs> and <laughs> wonderful. And then what a great attitude they they all have. We really do. Mm-hmm. And if you didn't edit this film. Uh, I know you've edited, you know, Act of Valor, you were editing on that, Need for Speed. I know you love editing your stuff, but here, Michael Duthie, who I love the dedication to him, such a legend, he cut the film. Was this a challenging edit because of the rapid-fire action that we have happening while still maintaining the core camaraderie and humor and sarcasm of the boys. Look, I, I think on this film, Debbie, there were a, and there was there was three of us, myself, and another one that wants to remain anonymous, that edited on the film with Michael. But we wanted to be respectful of him and his input and give him full credit. So um, Michael, you know, deserves it. He was an awesome man and. Um, you know, deserves the dedicated and full credit. So, uh, yeah, he he did a wonderful job maintaining the tone and keeping that balance. Just outstanding job. I know they're messaging me that we have to wrap this up, Scotty. But quickly, before I let you go, I got to ask, in your opinion, which Wall Brother had the better action film this year, you or Rick? Hey, we'll find out in about four days. <laughs> oh, that's cagey. Cagey response, Scotty. Oh, yeah, you know, Ricky and I don't, we don't compete. We I know. Support, and we're so, I know Rick's a terrific filmmaker and, um, you know, I know, uh, you know, he lends into the more dramatic action and somehow I've lensed into the more comedic action. It's kind of great we both have our own style. And But just remember, you got to direct Stallone before he will with his cliffhanger. Yeah, true, right? So, you can always hold that over his head if you need to. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Scotty, this has been so wonderful. I love you. I miss you. I hope I get to see you in person soon. I know, Debbie. It's awesome talking to you. Chat soon. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye-bye. And that was director Scott Waugh talking about the latest installment, Expendables 4. Uh, seriously, see the film. You will, not, you will not be disappointed, people. You really won't be. But did you catch him talking about Robbie Madison? And he did this inverted motorcycle jump five times? And to say, well, I think I can do it better. I, I'll do it again. Wow. It's amazing. I, ha I can't stress enough the safety factors, the expertise, and the precision that goes into planning and choreographing every punch that's thrown, 
every stunt, such as the inverted motorcycle jump, such as explosions, planting explosions and whatnot. Um, explosions are a big hallmark of Scott and Rick Wall both. Anybody that saw Kandahar, anybody that saw Angel Has Fallen that Rick Wall directed, explosions galore. Um, but it's all about safety and effect. And if you can do something safely, do it in camera, and you get a thrilling result, you can't ask for more than that. Uh, I do love the film. It is truly rock 'em, shock 'em, blow 'em out of hell thrill ride. It is wild and it's fun. And now we're going to have some more fun because I was very excited when I got to race home from the live show last Monday so I could grab a few minutes with the one and only Robert Rodriguez to talk about his new film, Spy Kids Armageddon. Now, much like Expendables, it's been over a decade since, our, since Expendables 3. Well, it's been since 2011, since Spy Kids 4, and now we have a new Spy Kids, Spy Kids Armageddon. Uh, and this is, it's fun from beginning to end. It is also action-packed, but on a family-friendly level of action and excitement. It is once again directed by Robert, and it's written not only by Robert, but his son, Racer Max. We now have a new family. Uh, instead of the Torres family that we had come to know and love for the first three Spy Kids, we now have the Tango Torres family. And we have Tony Tango Torres, played by Connor Esterson. And I got to tell you, be on the watch him. Watch and see where he goes in the future. Um, he's got some real acting chops. Everly Carganilla, who plays his sister, Patty Tango Torres. Then we have our parents, played by Gina Rodriguez as Nora and Zachary Levi as Terrence. And then, as our antagonist, Billy Magnuson as the king. And this is a Spy Kids for this generation because it's all around gaming. Now, granted, Robert did address video games in uh, Spy Kids 3 Game Over. But now, we're actually, this is beyond virtual reality with what's being done here. And what's really interesting, and Robert will, and you'll hear Robert talk about this, is that his kids, including Racer, they created a working game of the video game around that Spy Kids Armageddon is centered around. It's called High Score, and it actually is a real video game. People are going to be able to buy it. Um. You know, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree in the Rodriguez family. They are all creative as can be. Uh, with Racer and then, of course, Rebel, who wrote the music for We Can Be Heroes. And I'm still waiting for my sequel to that one. Uh, but Rebel also, along with John Debney, wrote all the music for Spy Kids Armageddon. But once again... The kids have to save the world and their parents. Uh, and Netflix, their logline is, when the children of the world's greatest secret agents unwittingly help a powerful game developer unleash a computer virus that gives them control of all technology, they must become spies themselves to save their parents and the world. Well, you know it's going to be fun. You know they're going to be gadgets. I love the costumes, uh, the superhero costumes. And the it was Robert's kids who helped design these uh, and their friends. You know, it, it just, he never ceases to amaze me. He really doesn't. And he is the nicest guy in the world. Having had the opportunity to speak with him multiple times over the years, um, as much as I love his Sin City films, and even Machete um, or Grindhouse, the joy 
and the fun that I get watching the Spy Kids films or We Can Be Heroes is just fabulous. You just don't get family films like this. They're few and far between. And I'm so happy that Robert not only makes films for families, but makes them with his own family. And he's always been very cognizant of that with this franchise. And once again, it's this is now streaming right now on Netflix. Family can sit down and watch it. But before you do, take a listen to my exclusive interview right now with Robert Rodriguez, director and co-writer of Spy Kids Armageddon. Hi, Robert. Hi, how are you? I'm fine. How are you doing? Doing good. It's so good to chat with you again. Uh, last time we talked was for We Can Be Heroes. Oh, right. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, and I'm still waiting for my sequel, but Spy Kids Armageddon. Right. Hopefully we can do it soon. Yeah, that'd be great. Oh, my God. But Spy Kids Armageddon is a nice filler. I love this film. I had oh, I had so much fun watching this film the other day. Just you know, it made me feel like I did when I saw the original Spy Kids. Oh, that's so great. I appreciate that so much. You know, and what I love here is you've all you've done the tie-in with video games and spy kids before um you did that with um number three with game over here you really take us into the virtual world uh with this whole idea of in your mind and you get and you're in the game and the game is you and it's all one this is really forward thinking and i love how you have actually visualized it us for it while having a really cohesive story obviously a lot of that is due to racer and his input yeah. <laughs> yeah and um he really came up with a really cool idea which was that one as a fan of the third film he loved and his friends growing up loved a lot the video game element because they all love games but he said also it would just be really more believable if the bad guy was really versed in games and game theory because then the kids actually edge against the adults because kids know that stuff so well mm -hmm. you could picture a world where they would have the upper hand so it really changed the whole dynamic and having them sneak in to break in to play a game they weren't allowed to um, makes this for the first time an adventure that's all their fault <laughs> they started Armageddon so now they have the response become responsible and go fix what they messed up and they actually have the tools to do it because they're so tech savvy and their parents are all thumbs for that so yeah it was a lot of fun to tie that together along with the themes of honesty and dishonesty and spying in general so yeah it was kind of cool to just uh collaborate with my kids on what resonated with them about the series originally and how to live up to that and take it to new levels. Well, and I'm glad you brought up the themes because I love the whole idea of honesty and kindness and, you know, the siblings either being rivals or working together. And that's something you've always done really well. And the whole family dynamic. There is not a film, any of the anything in the Spy Kids franchise or in the hopefully the We Can Be Heroes franchise, that a family cannot sit down and watch together. And that's so right, rare. Right. But what you do here is you make this so exciting visually for kids and also the idea that kids can do anything. And, you know, parents, yeah. you really give a backhand, uh, <laughs> a backhanded slap to the parents locking up electronic games like a kid isn't going to be able to figure out how to access those um and i <laughs> i thought that was fabulous that you threw that in every parent is going to connect with that um you yeah. did you didn't give the parents any hints on, <laughs> on how to lock the kids out of tech that's for sure you know 
as you and Racer, this is another one of your lean, mean productions. You know, you're writer-director, Racer is a co-writer, you're cinematographer, and you're editing this. And I notice, especially once we're in the game and the simplicity of the costumes, of our hero costumes, that really almost harkens back to older video games. I'm curious about the visual design in, in terms of the costuming and then the quote-unquote, the virtual elements of the game that they're trying to navigate to prevent Armageddon. Yeah, that was really fun. You know, my kids were designing a whole video game to release independently, like an actual game, because they're such big gamers and they program. And it had all those elements. They'd come up with characters. It was a fantasy game. So the costumes, they knew what costumes should look like because they'd already been designing it for a game, an actual game. Wow. So we were making this movie. We needed a game. So they, we took their game high score and said, let's put this game in the movie because it's already so robust and built up. So we kind of already knew what the costumes should look like, that some of, one guy's going to be more of a, a thief-type character. That would be Tony's character. So he's got the patch. He's got the... Oh, wow. they're all going to want percentages you know for all the future films because of their input oh they absolutely get that i have to ask you robert about the music once again you've got rebel doing music you've got john debney but here again piggybacking on the whole family theme did you just throw this into rebel and john's hands or did you have some input into what you wanted musically and sonically? Yeah, so the original Spy Kids movies, I, I wrote the scores for it. Mm-hmm. Um, worked on the first one and the second one with me. So that was always kind of the sound of it, was my original score and then some of John's really big pieces. Uh, so we wanted it to feel very authentic to that, but Rebel was just right circles around me. He did the, the score for We Could Be Heroes, and I just could not touch that score. He was just so good. So I I brought him back for this, but then he really wanted to me to still write some music and for to bring John on for some numbers, so that just to really capture that authentic like his sound, because it's just so iconic, he would say. So he wrote the majority of the music um, I loved everything he wrote. He would take my Spy Kids theme and turn it around into something, created the parents' theme. He created all the themes. Mm-hmm. The teen theme, the parents' theme, the kids' theme. And he used my original theme in a new reworked way. Whenever you hear my, hear my original theme from the original movies, other the pieces I wrote, very few, or like 10 minutes of music. Um, John uh, did another, like 30%, and the rest was, was uh, Rebel. Wow. So um, their music is just fantastic and, and then we got to, for the first time recorded like in London with a London orchestra at the James Bond stage and so oh. it was a dream for me to hear <laughs> that music you know done that way oh my god Robert that is a dream well my friend once again job so well done I will be watching this film several more times I assure you oh, um, because I just so I just had so much fun watching it and uh, I know I will every time, and I will, f- and I know you have Easter eggs in there. 
we have little throw little nods. I saw a lot of them, but I'm gonna look for more. Oh, Robert, thank you so much. And hopefully we'll chat again soon. Sounds good. Okay, bye-bye. And that is all the time we have today on Behind the Lens. You've got two fun films, fun action films that you can see. You can watch Spy Kids Armageddon from the comfort of your own home, have a popcorn night with the family, and just enjoy the film. And, also, and then the adults, it's R-rated, back to an R rating for Expendables 4. So go to the theater. See that. They are two films. You will not regret seeing either one of them. It's all about action. It's all about fun. And both are well-done films. I can't ask for any more than that, and neither can you. So... Next week, we've got a full house, jam-packed, two guests uh, who are going to be joining us live, and uh, we'll get into that next week. So, until then, I'm Debbie Elias. This is Behind the Lens.